In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. As I was just listening to the epistle that was being read, I was uh, moved. The first, first line says, Brethren, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And he goes on and talks about things being made visible. And I'm realizing now, perhaps I should have tried to integrate this more into my homily because it fits. And if you could bear with me for a moment, I hesitate to say this, but you, you probably wonder, how does someone prepare for a homily? You see me coming out with books and pages and well, the Lord, the, the, through the church, gives us a gospel reading. And there are many who in the past have written homilies, and so we read those, and we read the commentaries. And things, as we're preparing, stick. Things that we read will stick in our minds. And as we spend more and more time thinking, we might read some more things, and more things stick. And for me, I'm a little, forgive me for focusing on myself, um, a little ADD, and it's hard to let go of some of those things that stick. So I find myself at the end of the day with a bunch of things that have really spoken to me that I go, oh, I really want to share that. And then I, I was like, okay, now I've got to put them all together into a homily. So forgive me for that little aside, but I'm sure some of you guys have wondered what, what, all, this, what all this is. I did come across a quote this week from Father Alexander Schmemann of Blessed Memory. And it is from his very last sermon, the one before he died. He was very elderly. And the quote says, Everyone capable of thanksgiving is capable of salvation and eternal joy. Everyone capable of thanksgiving is capable of salvation and eternal joy. Today's gospel prevent, presents to us a person who is capable of thanksgiving. And the story itself inspires much thanksgiving, or it can, in us. Now, the story is of the man called Bartimaeus. We don't hear his name today, but this story is in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Mark, he's called Bartimaeus. And we get a few more details there. But Jesus, with his disciples, is on his way to Jerusalem. He's told his disciples while he was in the desert across the region of the Jordan that he is going to Jerusalem to be betrayed and killed. He's told them this. And he's on his way. And he is resolute. And by now he is famous. And Jericho is a big city. And as he comes through Jericho, there's a throng, a multitude around. And as he enters into Jericho, surrounded by this multitude, there is Bartimaeus sitting by the side of the road. He's going, what's going on? What's happening? And someone says to him, Jesus of Nazareth is walking by. Well, Bartimaeus has heard of him. Now, Bartimaeus probably called out to many people, have mercy on me, so that he could receive some alms, because that's what blind people did. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. He may as well have said, Jesus, Lord Jesus, Christ, have mercy on me. Because Son of David is a moniker that would have been given and associated with the Messiah. So what he has heard about Jesus is that he's the Messiah. This is the one who can give me more than alms. When he cries out, have mercy on me, as he has many times, he is not asking for alms, but something much more. So they try to quiet him down, thinking that he's just asking Jesus for alms. And so he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stands still. Now remember, he's on a mission. He stands still and he says, bring him to me. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says, they say to him, be of good comfort, rise. He is calling for you. And so Bartimaeus throws off his cloak and he runs to where Jesus is. And so obviously, he's a blind person. He comes to Jesus, and what does Jesus say? He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now to us, this maybe seems like a silly question. It's obvious. But he wants to know what this person really wants. He wants him to declare and articulate what his needs are. So he asked him this question for him and for everyone so that we would all know about his faith, about his hopeful expectation. And it's as if Bartimaeus, the blind man, has already an answer on his lips. He says, Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus replies, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And in the Greek, a better translation would be, thanks to Father Matthew, I know this. Receive your sight, your faith has saved you. And immediately he received his sight and followed him with much thanksgiving, glorifying God and all the people. And when they saw it, they rejoiced, giving praise to God much thanksgiving. The words and the promises of God inspire in us much thanksgiving. But do we cry out to God? Do we recognize our blindness? When we cry out to God, when we really turn to Him, which is really what repentance is, a turning of our hearts towards our Maker, towards Christ, when we come to Christ, He asks us the same question. Always, it's the same question, really. What do you want me to do for you? He knows what we need, but he wants us to engage with him. He wants us to answer him. And Jesus is speaking to us now and always when we pray to him. What do you want me to do for you? And do we have an answer ready? Do we have the confident expectation that Christ wants to meet us and do for us what we desire? Or do we even cry out to God, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me? Or are we too busy in our imagined non-blindness, too distracted, too blinded maybe by our many thoughts that are in our head, that we neglect our hearts and that we don't cry out? When Jesus asks us, what do you want me to do for you? Do we know? 
Have we thought about it? Or are we like, well, I don't really know. I think I'm good. Have we engaged deeply in our faith? Do we, like Bartimaeus, say, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. I want to receive my sight. And what do we need to see? We want to see the Lord. We want to know him. How? We want to know how we should live, what we should do in our lives. How can we make our way through this dark, confusing, wonderful, distracting, hurting world? What is holding us back? It's our sin, our laziness, our selfishness, and many others. So we need to say, Lord, I want to see. I want to see my sin so that I can repent, increase my faith, that my faith can save me, help me see. In order to come to Christ and be saved, we must admit that we are blind. And we need to ask him to heal us with hope. When Jesus healed the blind man who was born blind, when he didn't even have any eyes, right after that, Jesus said to the, to the people that were near him, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. And the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. God cannot do anything for us unless we ask, unless we cry out to him. I was given a, uh, a translation by Iwan of a um, Romanian elder in a talk that he did at a conference. And there was a line, and I'll quote another piece from it a little bit later, but there was a line in there, and he says, the powerlessness of the all-powerful is our lack of repentance. The powerlessness of the all-powerful all is our lack of repentance. Or in other words, our limitless God limits his power at the border of our freedom. He will never force himself upon us. For God to act in our lives, we must be willing to reach out to him, to call out to him, to bring him our brokenness. We must be willing to see our sin, to see our own blindness and what we have need to be healed of. We need to bring him all of our struggles, all of our failures, and if we do not reach out to God to offer ourselves for healing, then we are stuck in our brokenness without hope. And there's a real temptation for us Orthodox Christians because we have the form, we have the prayer books, we have the routine for us to go through the motions and to be satisfied with something, something less than a, a broken heart before Christ. We, we want it to be easy and to see our sins and to repeatedly ask, Lord, I want to see, is not the easy path, but it is the path that brings us into fellowship with Christ. I mentioned a quote from that talk. And here's what Father, 
not sure I'm saying it right, Rafael Nuica says, he's a Romanian elder who was a spiritual disciple of Elder Sophroni or Saint Sophroni. I want to highlight what Saint Sophroni says somewhere. The entire tradition of the church, the awareness of sin is the presence of grace. Without grace, a person doesn't become aware of his sin. Maybe you have observed that in our journey, in our becoming, in our lives, at one point in our lives, we didn't realize that, I don't know what, within us, was sinful. And maybe after years of communion, years of confession, we just can't do it anymore. Something is thinned. Something becomes more spiritual within us. And sometimes we think, Lord, how could I have done that or thought that? And our awareness develops, and this comes from grace. Elder Sophroni says that without grace, a person can't see his sin. And he goes further to say that the awareness of one's sin is the beginning of true contemplation. To see our sins, and not only our sins, but how we should live our life, how we should work out our faith, how we should work out our, uh, our salvation. To see our sins like this is the action of God's grace, as that quote says. It is the action of the love of Christ. It is the action of the Holy Spirit in us. To be able to see, to be able to repent, is God acting in us by his grace. And God's grace directs us and guides us to go deeper, deeper into faith, deeper into joy and thanksgiving. Father Raphael goes on, what takes place to see our sins? And here I'd like to encourage Christians, to see your sins is very painful, but much more important than the sin itself is the ability to see. Our sins are nothing. They're like dust, but they're what holds us back. When we confess them, when we see them so we can confess them, God wipes them away like they were nothing. For us, they feel like they're something. Father Zacharias, in his book, The Enlargement of the Heart, speaks about the same thing. When the grace of God strips a man naked and reveals to him his infirmity, his poverty, the same grace gives him the ability to overcome it. And there lies the difference. We can go to a psychologist to learn about ourselves, and this may be good, but it is of very limited value. But if God reveals our true state, he will give us grace to overcome it. How can we repent and be healed of our sin? How can we see unless we engage with God, reach out for him, enter into communion with him, enter into a relationship with him, crying out from our hearts, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And for him to hear us, for us to hear him say, what do you want me to do for you? And as the quote said, this is difficult and painful. We don't like pain. There's a great temptation to be, no, I think I'm good. I just want to be this spiritual. I just want to be here. But then we languish, and we don't get a chance to really participate in the uh, 
dynamic increase of faith that St. Sophroni says. Now forgive me if I'm going on and seems to be saying the same thing over again. But if we do begin to see our true selves, there is the temptation towards hopelessness, towards despair. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world that is full of people suffering despair. And why are they suffering despair? Because when they begin to see themselves by circumstances or whatever else is happening in their life, they don't have the grace of God working in them. They have the evil one accusing them. There is so much despair. And as I thought of this, I thought of the life of St. Silouan. And I was going to summarize it a little bit, but forgive me, I, I feel like I'm going on. Have many of you read the life of St. Silouan? As a young man, he was deemed worthy, maybe beyond his worthiness, of a vision of Christ. And the grace was so strong. He felt in the depth of his being that his sins were forgiven and the perfect love of God for him and for all people and that, that for the forgiveness of all. And this, this was so powerful. He entered into a life of deep repentance and prayer. Also working hard in a, in a monastery with many, many responsibilities. But he spent 15 years wrestling with his sin, having God reveal his sin to him. And praying and pushing his body and struggling. And after 15 years, where every night he was literally struggling, struggling like St. Anthony in the desert with demons who visited him and were accusing him every night while he was trying to pray. And he was at, the, at wit's end, he thought. And he said to God, Lord, how, how can I do this? I can't even pray. The, the, the noise of these demons is bothering me so much. What, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? And he heard in his heart, the prideful always suffer demons. And here's, so this is the point where St. Silouan is able to see something he couldn't see before. And in that moment, he heard the famous words which you've heard, keep your mind in hell and despair not. Now, if I heard this while I was uh, in the midst of really struggling in prayer, I don't think I would be very encouraged. Keep your mind in hell. The last part, despair not, was a command. I can't really speak very much about keep your mind in hell. Because as St. Sophroni says, it is actually not for us. There is so much deep theology. There is so much that has been written. And I, when I read it, I feel like it's up here. And I can't hold on to it. But I came across something that I think will be discouraging. Encouraging. This is from um, Father Zacharias. I remember when I first became a spiritual father, 
I began to grasp a little of how this is carried out in life. Keep your mind in hell. I wanted to share it with all my fellows, and I was trying to teach this to one of the, the nuns. And Father Sophroni said to me, this is not for everyone. This is not even for monks. Tell this person to carry out her obedience, to do the work of the monastery, and she will be saved. But people, he says, slowly, slowly with time, can become stronger. Grace strengthens their nature, and they can begin to practice some of this measure. But here's the part I really want to share with you. But there is another way for people living in the world to fulfill, keep your mind in hell and despair not. There's another way for people living in the world, and it is to keep thanking God continually. Thank God continually, saying things like, I thank thee, O Lord, for all the things that you have done for me, over and over again, in every aspect of our life, and so on, and adding at the end, even though I am unworthy. Thankfulness brings the same result, the same state. Because thanking God continually intercedes for our weakness before him, and it makes up for our weakness. And I believe this is a more accessible way for people living in the world. The cure for despair for us the temptation to despair is thanksgiving to God. The equivalent of keeping our mind in hell and despairing not is a life of continual, resolute thanksgiving. The formula for a joyful, repentant life is continual thanksgiving. This is our cooperation with God. This is the expression of our relationship with Christ. And it is the result of him asking, what do we do? What do we want him to do for us? The quote that I said in the very beginning. Everyone capable of thanksgiving is capable of salvation, eternal joy. Father Schmemann added that thanksgiving is communion with God. And this is what we are doing now. We are aiming towards this in the liturgy. Joyful thanksgiving in communion in his body and blood. This is the Eucharist. This is thanksgiving. And this is our salvation. And this is the beginning of our eternal joy. Even in the midst of our struggles, of our understanding of our own sin and our lives, God pours out his grace and healing on our repentant and thankful hearts. Forgive me. Two things. We reach out to God, crying out to him, and we tell him what we want him to do for us. And we want to see. And with everything we can muster, we then nurture and cultivate an attitude and a heart of thanksgiving to God. We cry out, we ask, and we give thanks. Thanks. 